Good day, everyone. This is the B-side for the message from Deuteronomy chapter 5 through 26 titled, Ready, Set, Grow. And in this episode, we'll be talking about finding your promised land, part two, hermit crabs, and part three, memorizing the Ten Commandments. And then, as usual, we'll close with a preview of the upcoming sections in Deuteronomy. But we will start with the 60-second summary of Sunday's message. Ready? Go. We all have talents that we are meant to use. This is our promised land, where we are to flourish for Christ. These talents, these gifts, they are indeed given to us, but it is also our job to grow in them. So it may not be obvious at first. You will grow little by little. So in this long sermon of Moses, he has this theme of loving God. And so in order for us to grow, we want to do love. And love means to be dependent on God and to be obedient toward God. Throughout this sermon, be dependent and obey. That's how we do love. That will help us to grow. Idolatry poses as a temptation for immaturity. It never helps us to grow. It lets us to be exactly who we want to be. And then we closed with abiding in Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches. That's how we are both dependent and obedient. Right on time. Okay. This, by the way, is the only B-side for the next two weeks. We will not have one next week because I will be traveling up north to the American River to go river rafting. Yeah, I'm taking the seniors from Lake Road Christian School. Brittany and I will be uh, chaperoning the seniors on their senior trip. And should be fun. Please pray for us. Uh, but yeah, I will not be doing an episode next week. So... Uh, this will be the one, and I will try to preview the next two portions of Deuteronomy, both which Pastor Mike will be teaching. But uh, going on now to part one, finding your promised land. Sometimes it can be really hard to find what that promised land is for us. Where are we to flourish for Christ? How? What does it look like in our lives? What am I on this earth to do? One of the things that make it hard is we love to take the best talents and say, these people are really good at this. Everybody else, you're not very good at it. And so we save special things for the very few who are really good and make everybody else feel like a failure in it and that they're not allowed to participate. That's a problem because you may enjoy singing, but somewhere in your childhood, you weren't the cream of the crop. And so you were told you can't do this. But what if you were a late bloomer in singing? Or what if singing was something that you were simply meant to do out of joy, not out of perfection. And so we have this tendency to want to have only the best people do certain things. And I feel like that leaves an awful lot of us floundering in the middle, wondering, what are we good for? So I heard a podcast recently, uh, and 
the speaker shared these three questions that can help you find your, what am I here for? They are these. First, who do I most want to help? Who do I most want to help? Is it a group of people? Is it an individual? Is it a nation? Uh, what, when that question is asked, who comes to mind? Who do you most want to help? Two, what problem do I most want to solve? So you see something that needs changing. What is that? So who, and now what are they suffering under? And then third, what solution do I most want to provide? What solution do I most want to provide? So you see someone, some uh, group, you see a need, and now if you can answer the third, what can be done about that? you may see your calling. You may see what it is you're supposed to be doing. Now, sometimes what we are called to do in our promised land and what God wants us to thrive in is right in front of us. But for whatever reason, we're comparing to other people's roles and we feel like ours isn't significant enough or successful enough. We need to start understanding success differently. We need to start thinking of success as simply being progress in our promised land, right? Yours might look different than somebody else's. The question is not how big or small is your calling, but are you progressing in it? Paul actually encourages this to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he tells him this, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Paul wants Timothy. It doesn't matter how young you are, how unskilled you are, Timothy, what the others think of you, but I want you to practice your calling so that all may see your progress. If we are progressing in that which God has given us, then we are indeed successful. And so this just goes back to the, to this verse in Moses' second sermon that I keep finding myself drawn to throughout life. I mentioned it in the message. It's, it's Deuteronomy 7 verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not make an end of them at once lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. You see, God wants us to grow into that which he's given us. You're not going to wake up and realize, wow, I'm a superstar at this. Some people do, and it's easy for them to see what they're supposed to do in life. But for the common person, for most of us, we discover this little by little. We ask questions. Who do I want to help? What problem do I want to solve? What's my solution to offer to the world? I'm going to progress in this little by little. That is amazing success. We're often told to follow your passion. Elizabeth Gilbert, a well-known author, has a problem with this. And I, I tend to think that she's onto something here. Because some of us don't really feel passionate about much. And then that kind of makes us feel like, well, somehow we lost out on having unique callings in the world. Yeah, you may have a passion. Oh, that's easy for you. Go with your passion. But some of us are like, what is my passion? She proposes that instead you go with your 
curiosity. Because sometimes you don't know what your passion is. So just go with what you're curious in. What would you like to know more about? What would you like to dabble in? And it's okay to be wrong here because it's just a curiosity. You're just going to explore what you're curious about. And when you find that thing that you might be curious about, little by little, you may discover, I really like this. I'm fairly good at this. I'm quite passionate about this. I see how this can help people. It's a progress, little by little. I didn't get the chance to kind of elaborate on that a lot in the message because there was a lot of text to cover. So that's what I wanted to do was just sort of help us think about how to find our promised land. Are you finding yours? And of course, along your journey of curiosity, of answering these questions, of of uh, finding your promised land, please don't forget that the heart of this passage was to do love. Love the Lord your God in all of this with all your heart, soul, and might. Remember to depend on him. He's the one who gives us our calling. He allows us to explore a little bit, but it ultimately comes from him. And to obey him. Never do something that's against his commands. That's not something he'll ever call you to. And and I've also learned that the more I obey him and walk in his ways, the more I seem to understand him and know him and to have a sense of my place in his plan. Yeah, so do love. Remember, the calling is given, but it's also grown. It may seem very insignificant now, but it will eventually grow if you're willing to work with it. So in closing, Philippians chapter 2 sums up this point very nicely. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Two things there. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here, of course, we're not talking about you have to work your way to heaven No, no, no. Your promised land, your purpose here, you work that out. You aren't born with a badge that says to do this. Frankly, you would feel like you were born as a slave serving some impersonal purpose. No, no. God loves you. God has something for you. God wants us to grow into our promised land. So work out. So work that out. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's something on our end that must be done, all the while not forgetting that Paul also said, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a spark that comes from God, but we are also to stir that up. Which reminds me right now of um, something else Paul says to Timothy. Uh, I'm looking for it. There it is. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Fan into flame the gift of God. You see, it's not always a blazing bonfire It will grow into that, but we are called to fan that little coal, that little spark he's given us. It might just be a curiosity, 
fan it into flame. And then you'll know this is why God has saved me. Part two, hermit crabs. Okay, so this is really cool. I was getting ready for work this morning, and Brittany, I'm not even sure what sparked this, but for some reason she was sharing with me a video she had watched with Avalyn about hermit crabs, and was excitedly sharing with me how cool it is. This is what she said, and I went to watch the video so I could see it for myself. Now, you know a hermit crab is the one who carries the a seashell on its back, right? It lives in the seashell. That's its form of protection. But when a hermit crab begins to grow, it will outgrow that seashell and need a bigger seashell. Now, when a, when a hermit crab needs that new seashell, um, apparently seashells are not in abundance that they can fit into. The, the nice, perfectly like intact seashell where you, you know, you can put to your ear and hear the ocean, like that kind of seashell. Um, but occasionally a wave may wash one on shore and, um, the crabs would gather together. See, the seashell that is washed up may be too big for the crab that stumbles upon it. He's growing out of his shell. He needs a new one. But this one that just washed up is a little bit too big for him. Or maybe way too big. But what happens is when the shell washes up, all the crabs start to gather. The ones looking for a new shell. And I kid you not, you need to go see this on YouTube. They line each other up by size. The empty shell at the front, the largest crab next to it, then the next largest, then the next largest, going all the way down in descending order. So the smallest crab is at the end of this line. And then, I'm sure someone counts the three, they all begin to get out of their present shell and move upward to the next shell up in size. And they do this together because a crab without a shell is very dangerous. So they want to make this as smooth and as streamlined as possible. And so they all get out of one and into the other as quickly as possible. And they've all graduated to another size. And when she was telling me that this morning, it made me think of this verse in Deuteronomy 7 verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. And when she was sharing me, I thought, Huh. That's exactly what growth looks like. We don't leap and bound into our gifts and suddenly we're much better at this than everybody else or, or I've made sudden strides overnight. No, the promised land is something to be patiently grown into. It's little by little. It's step by step. And sometimes we see where it's going, but that shell is still a little bit too big for us. And so we need to line up the steps and we're moving in that direction one size bigger at a time. Step by step, little by little, you'll get there. Keep on working at what God has given you. Keep on fanning it into flame. That's the lesson from God's creation in hermit crabs. Go see it. Uh, go search on Google Crabs Shell Exchange or on YouTube Crabs Shell Exchange 
Uh, this particular one I saw was by the BBC. So you'll know it. You, you found an official one if you find the BBC. Shells, a uh, crab's shell exchange. Part three, memorizing the Ten Commandments. I once heard a message from Dave Rolf, Calvary Chapel, uh, Liso Viejo. I was at this message, and I heard this message once. I never went back to hear it again, and I still remember the contents of this message. The message was about how to memorize the Ten Commandments so you would never have to look at them again. And that was interesting to me when he introduced the message that way, because I thought, are you gotta be kidding me? I I don't have the Ten Commandments memorized. And he said you'd have them memorized after this message. I, I didn't believe it, of course. But after that one message, and I've never heard it again, I still, this was years ago, people, I still remember the Ten Commandments. And not just, I know them because, well, this one comes after that one. You can name any number and I can tell you which one that is. Now, this is not to say I have them word for word memorized. I simply have what the commandment is about memorized. And so I wanted to share this trick with you uh, because it was just so effective. Um, I thought, why, if this is so easy and effective, why shouldn't we all know this? So, thank you, Dave Rolf. Here we go. The way to do this is you just, you're remembering these really bizarre but related scenes. And each of them, you have an image that goes with the number. So, here's how it goes. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. One, run. When you hear one, you think run. And you're going to imagine yourself running a race. And you are in front of every other racer. They're all behind you. That's God. The first. You shall have no other gods before me. Two. Shoe. The second commandment tells us that we shall have no graven images, no idols, no carved images whatsoever. So you imagine if there is an idol in front of you, you take your shoe and you smash that thing to pieces. You shall have no idols to shoe. Three, tree. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So you need to imagine a tree in which is carved into its trunk, the way you see in parks, the initials of lovers. And it's carved nonetheless in the vein of a tree. See where that's going? Carving names and veins. Yeah. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Four, door. You shall keep the Sabbath. So this means rest. Don't go to work. So imagine you're not allowed to go through that door. Or in a more literal sense, in the time of Jesus, the Jews are practicing, don't go out of your door. (laughs) So the door becomes a symbol of rest. Five, Dive. You shall honor your father and mother. This one's kind of bizarre. It's not the most bizarre, but it's kind of bizarre, but it works. So you imagine yourself on a diving board, really high diving board, and you launch yourself off of it, 
And as you're descending to plunge into the water, you turn over to your parents who are in the stands watching your performance. And you say, this one's for you, mom and dad. That is to remind you to honor your father and mother. Remember, I didn't make these up. So if you don't like them, I didn't make them up, but they work. Six, sticks, you shall not murder. A stick can do that. Seven, heaven, you shall not commit adultery. When you're faithful to your spouse, when you're faithful to your spouse, life is heavenly. Eight, gate, thou shalt not steal. So imagine you really like your neighbor's gate. You steal it. No, you can't do that. Nine, vine. Okay, this one is the most bizarre, but it works. Thou shalt not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Okay, you're in a courtroom. Testimonies are going to be given. And a bear... You shall not bear. A bear swings into the witness stand on a vine crashing through the ceiling. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Yeah, nine vine. I know, bizarre, but I'm telling you, somehow it works. And finally, ten hen. You shall not cover your neighbor's house or wife or animals. Well, that includes their hens. Don't covet anything. Simple, I know. Very silly indeed. But I'm telling you, I heard this message once, and I still remember it. And I did not review a single second of this before saying it to you. So, for what it's worth, hopefully that will help you to remember the Ten Commandments. But before I part, maybe you're wondering, why do we need to know these? Isn't that the Old Covenant? Yeah, I suppose. But let's not deny the fact that these Ten Commandments are still revealing to us the nature and character of God. He is still for these things or against. Um, these are good pathways to live. And if you might remember from the message or if you didn't hear it, God's commands are not like a fence trying to crawl us in away from everything else. It's a it's a fence trying to corral and keep evil in its place so that you can go and explore the world safely. See, it's not keeping you in the fence. It's keeping the bad things that could happen in life in the fence. So yeah, these are for our freedom. God introduces the Ten Commandments with, remember you were slaves in Egypt. In other words, you're not a slave anymore. And if you don't want to be a slave again, Follow this path to life. Follow these steps to your promised land. Because the one who follows these commands, yeah, they will live fruitfully and fully. Um, so, the one that people I think most wonder about is the Sabbath. Now, for the record, um, every single one of the Ten Commandments is in one way or another reiterated in the New Testament. Except for the Sabbath. By the way, do you remember which commandment number that is? Right, four door. Let's keep the Sabbath holy. Um, now, 
that doesn't mean that the Sabbath doesn't matter. It seemed that Jesus cared about it, but was actually kind of correcting it. It should be a day of liberty, not of restriction. Um, but nowhere are we commanded to keep the Sabbath holy, to stop working on the Sabbath. And one of the things that we see is that the early church shifts the day of worship from the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday, to Sunday, because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. And so we see that the early church didn't seem to think that the fourth commandment meant you could only worship God on the Sabbath. In fact, part of their vision is that because Jesus is the risen and glorified Lord of all, uh, he should be worshiped all the time. Like this isn't limited to a day. But often we do see the Sabbath mentioned as something that's supposed to be healing, nourishing, restful. Jesus talking to the Pharisees like, look, the Sabbath, you're meant to heal people on the Sabbath. Don't get me in trouble because I healed this person on the Sabbath. This is a day of rest and of, of restoration. It's supposed to be a day looking forward to the time when God would restore all things and the entire universe will be an unending Sabbath. And of course, the author of Hebrews in chapters three and four talks about how this, how there is this place of rest, this Sabbath, which is Christ. So the New Testament doesn't command a day of the Sabbath anymore because in its vision, Christ himself as the king of the world is the Sabbath. And as long as we live our lives in allegiance to this new Lord and King, you are in a good place. And now for our preview of the next two Sunday teachings in Deuteronomy. Pastor Mike will be teaching both of these. Um, and he's given me the titles. Now, before I give them to you, let me refresh your memory that we have divided Deuteronomy, our teachings of it, into the four sermons that Moses gives. So recall, Israel is on the edge of the promised land, about to enter. Moses is about to ascend a mountain and die. These are his final words. His first sermon is chapters 1 through 4. He asks us to remember where we've come from. And so we titled that, Ready, Set, Slow. We want to have space in our lives to slow down and reflect, lest we rush into the promised land and make mistakes. Second message, chapters 5 through 26. Very long message, a lot of good stuff in there. We title that one, Ready, Set, Grow, which you've been hearing a lot about in this podcast episode. The third message, and this is what will be coming up this Sunday, Pastor Mike will be teaching, is Deuteronomy 27 through 28, which Pastor Mike has told me, at least to date, he is titling, Ready, Set, Yes or No, which I think is a great title. He, he found a way to keep this Ready, Set theme and the ones that rhyme, slow, grow, and now yes or no, and it fits so appropriately with this passage. So read through chapters 27 through 28 this week with that title in mind. Ready, set, yes or no. So what it sounds like to me is that we're going to be focusing on a decision, which is precisely what Moses is asking us to do. Look, you guys have two paths. You're either going to choose the path of disobedience and curse or obedience and blessing. Now, Remember um, that God is not some petty vending machine. You put 
this amount of change in and press that number and you get that product. So it's not like, well, I did disobedience and he gave me this. I did obedience and he gave me that. That's a totally works-minded kind of living with God. And it's not, God is not Santa Claus putting us on the naughty or nice list and giving us presents accordingly. Not like that at all. You see, we are not punished for our sins, but by our sins. Or another angle on this I said in the message on Sunday. We are not blessed for our obedience, but in our obedience. Or you could even say, it's the same thing, by our our obedience. So the same thing with the curses, all right? God isn't punishing you because you stepped out of line. How dare you offend me? No, 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 no. When we step out of line, we are stepping into danger, and the curse is already there. You walk into it. Same thing with the blessing. God is inherently linked blessing with obedience because he made his laws to show us where obedience is so that when you're obedient, there is inherently blessing in there because it's been ordained by God that way. He knows how his universe works, so he gives us commands so that we can know how to function, right? So we need to see that the commands of God are not a dictator, not some disappointed father, but they are a map for our navigating the promised land. And so chapter 27, we see uh, Moses is saying, you guys are going to need to gather together and reaffirm the covenant. And then chapter 28, uh, it starts with, chapter 27 ends with some curses. And then chapter 28, it begins with obedience. And here are the blessings if you're obedient. It goes from verses 1 through 14. And then 15 on to the rest of the chapter are the curses for disobedience. There are a lot of them. I think because God knew they were ultimately going to end up in this route and was hoping that they would know full well that when all of the curses came upon them, they would truly understand God knew what he was talking about all along. Some, uh, just some... You definitely don't want to disobey God when you read these. Like, this is what disobedience leads to? Yeah. No, thank you. I want to follow God. One of them, verse 64, it talks about the exile. He's predicting that Israel will one day be disobedient and they will be scattered across the world. Well, that happens. 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire crushes the northern tribes of Israel. They don't quite get further they don't quite get up to Jerusalem. In fact, if you want to read the prophets, um, it's in two places. One is in Isaiah. The king comes up and God's angel miraculously delivers Jerusalem. They retreat and not a single arrow is shot from Jerusalem. Really cool story. You can go search it out. Um, and then in 586 BC, finally Jerusalem is taken. And that is the end of the temple. Um, the Babylonians destroy that and take Israel off to their capital around the world. The Assyrians interbred peoples from different cultures to make sure there's no more nationalities that would be proud to revolt. Babylon just simply removed them and put them in other places so that, well, <laughs> they went from an Israel that worshiped one God to a place full of idols, different language, different speech, different dietary laws. 
you would have been incredibly uncomfortable being removed halfway across the world. Not literally halfway, but um, a long distance. And this is all because God's saying, look, you guys wanted this. This was what you desired. You brought idolatry into the nation, so I'll give you to a nation full of idols. So Deuteronomy 28.64 says this, And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes, and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. A journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall find, or there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. And with those words of doom, the third sermon ends. Wow. Remember how the Ten Commandments said, look, I took you out of that place of slavery, Egypt. So obey me. (laughs) Here it ends with, if you disobey me, you'll find yourself back in Egypt. A very disorienting passage there. You'll be scattered. You will wish the morning was night and the night was morning. Just basically everything will be going wrong. Isn't that how it is when we do things our way in high-handed rebellion against God? Haven't you noticed that? And hopefully you only had experienced that for a little season and it was enough to make you want to be obedient forever. But some of us have had the misfortune of experiencing that for years or for most of a life. Isn't it true that this is our experience when we choose to say no to God? So, ready, set, yes or no? Then the next Sunday, Pastor Mike will be taking us through the fourth and final message. The message goes, oh, he's titling it. So we have ready, set, slow, ready, set, grow, ready, set, yes or no. And then this one finally is ready, set, go. Because this is the final message. And when we're done with Deuteronomy, we enter Joshua. And in Joshua... They step foot into the promised land for the first time. So the fourth message of Moses starts in Deuteronomy 29. And it actually ends in chapter 30. So like the last one, it's another short one. Then chapters 31 through 34, which takes us to the end of Deuteronomy, they're not actually a message, but um, rather than creating another message, we decided to just um, tack that on so that Mike will be covering 29 to 34. But Moses' message stops in chapter 30. So in 31, Joshua succeeds Moses, and um, 
He's commissioned to lead Israel. Chapter 32 is the Song of Moses. It's a prophetic song. Some things in there about Israel and its future. And then chapter 33, like Joseph, no, uh, Jacob, like Jacob, who blesses his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. He gives each of them a blessing at the end of Genesis. The end of Deuteronomy has Moses blessing the 12 tribes of Israel, which creates this really neat bookend on the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch or the law of Moses. Genesis blesses the 12 tribes. Deuteronomy ends with blessing the 12 tribes. Yes, God indeed loves his people. Speaking of which, blessing, um, because it's in the last message and then it's in this message um, of Moses. You have to remember that blessing first comes up in the Bible when God first creates the world. So when it says that he blesses, this doesn't mean that he's going to heap loads of money on us give you a new job, a new house, a new car, make everything just do bow to your wishes. It's like a genie kind of, he doesn't say here you get three wishes for obedience. He, he says there's blessing in obedience. Blessing is part of the building blocks of God's original intention for creation. The Edenic existence of heaven meeting earth, the intersection of God and humanity where there is no separation that is what blessing is. And so that is why obedience leads to blessing. The blessing is part of the obedience because the obedience to God is the way the world was meant to work. And so you're experiencing that blessing, that, that being in line with God. Um, yeah, so that's where the word blessing comes from. Now, okay, Moses' fourth message and things to read for. Reading for ready, set, go. So of course the succession and the blessing of the tribes, it's all getting ready to go. Um, one of the things that is unique about this message, this fourth and final message of Moses, is chapter 30. And it's this message where it says, yeah, there's going to be time you guys are going to fall away from the Lord. But he will bring you back. And when all these things come upon you, chapter 30, verse 1, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And there, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the offspring, or in the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put these curses on your foes and enemies who persecute you. And so it goes. And we see that there's this great promise of return. And so um, this is possibly why Paul in Romans 11 says, look, right now God's working in Gentiles are being grafted into this Israel tree but all Israel will be saved. Because God has said it. Look, all these blessings and curses will at some point come upon you. But I'm going to return you to me. 
I'm going to circumcise your heart so that you'll love me with all your heart, soul, and might. I will do it. Happy reading, everyone. I look forward to seeing you uh, when I am back.